Some of y'all are like, why am I standing up? I don't know this guy. Because you honor your pastor. I appreciate that. Welcome to Seacoast. Uh, my name is Ernest Mann, and I'm so excited to be here with you. I wanna welcome all of you joining us at North Charleston or James Island or one of the other many campuses. Uh, we're grateful to have you. And man, this feels like family. Uh, for, I know some of you, it's more like third cousins and we don't really know each other. Uh, but Seacoast is my, my, you'll get that there, my, my, is my spiritual family. Um, and I'm so grateful to be here. This is kind of where my life radically changed. Uh, I came to know Christ as a 16 year old punk uh, in this place. I met my wife here, we had two kids here. I mean, we didn't have them in the building, but you know, we, we dedicated them here. It's where I began to like cut my teeth in ministry. I remember setting up chairs right over here and learning to pray over every single chair that people would sit in that weekend. I remember there was a, a stairwell that came down on this side and our youth pastor at the time decided to jump off of it and messed up his back. And I was like, sounds like a good profession for me. Uh, so I went to be a youth pastor. Uh, and uh, I remember um, uh, standing in the back and it was right before I was gonna get my first message up here on the stage and uh, one of the pastors came up to me. He wanted to encourage me and I won't say who it was because I didn't ask Pastor Greg for his permission but uh, he whispered in my ear these encouraging words that I'll never forget. He said, don't suck. Thank you, Pastor Greg. <laughs> appreciate, appreciate that. So we're so grateful to be here. Uh, <laughs> We started, uh, we left about five years ago, started Front Range Church almost five years ago, and I've uh, been seeing God do some incredible things. You know, it's very different pastoring a church uh, in Colorado than it is here in Charleston, South Carolina. I mean, there's a lot of differences. Like, in a few weeks, you guys are doing a dream team party, and you're having an oyster roast. You don't have those in Denver. I don't know why, but there's just no oysters nearby. Uh, we, uh, I get asked all the time, anytime I go outside of uh, Colorado, I always get asked about what it's like to pastor a church in a state that has legalized weed. I'm like, great question. Ask me a different one, you know? And they're like, are people high all the time? You know, do you have Doritos as your response station? You know, <laughs> stuff like that. So... It's just different, it's different. It's a lot of differences, a lot of changes, a lot of opposition that we faced. And I'll be real honest, man, it's been a, it's been a very difficult journey over five years. And I don't know if Sarah and I uh, would still be doing what we're doing without Pastor Josh and without Pastor Greg and so many of you here praying for us and, and encouraging us. I never knew how hard it would be uh, to lead a church. I never knew what Pastor Greg, the type of opposition he went through to get Seacoast to where it is today. I never knew how much opposition Pastor Josh has gone through to be able to move the church church forward. And I just want to say, Seacoast, thank you. You're not just making a difference here and the different towns that each campus represents, but you're making a difference all over the world and including this tiny little place called Castle Rock, Colorado. And today I want to talk about this idea of opposition, because I think every one of us faces opposition in our lives. I believe that every one of us is either currently in a battle, you're coming out of a battle, or if you're blessed enough, you're about to go into a battle. Right, like super encouraging, I know, but that's the cycle of life. You're either in the midst of something, you're coming out of something, or you're about to go into something. And all of us face battles, all of us face opposition, whether it's in our marriage, it's in our parenting, it's in our workplace, our school, our neighborhood, wherever it may be. And so how do we respond when, when we are faced with opposition. And for me, I turn to a character in the Bible. He's my favorite character outside of Jesus, of course. And his name is Nehemiah. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter four. If, you, if not, no worries. It'll be on the screen and, and in your notes as well. And uh, I love Nehemiah's story because it's a story of leadership. It's our story. I believe that every person in here is a leader. Why? Because leadership is simply this. It's using your influence to impact your world. 
It's what you do every single day as a stay-at-home mom, as a dad, as a business person, as a student, at whatever you do, wherever you are and whatever you do, you are able to use your influence to impact your world. I believe that God has called all of us to be leaders, and when we are leaders, when we're living that out, he wants to give us vision. And I think in order to get vision in your life, to get it in your marriage or in your parenting or whatever it may be, you have to look through four lenses. So you have to have four lenses to look through to get vision. Number one, you have to see what is. This is diagnosing where you currently are in different areas of your life. What current state is our marriage in? What current state are my kids in? What, what current state is our neighborhood, our town? Whatever, you have to look at what is. This usually isn't positive. You know, this is usually a little bit harder, a little bit uh, more wrestling to do in our hearts. And then the second lens we gotta look through is the what should be. This is like our moral imperative. This is what God says about our marriage. This is what God says about our faith. This is what God says about you and where you live and where you work. The third lens is that we are difference makers. You're not created to be a person that just talks about change and how you complain about things and we want things to change, but you're called to be a difference maker to actually create change in the world around you. And then the fourth lens is that our God is a great and awesome God. Like if God is great and awesome, if he's powerful enough to do anything and everything, then no matter what I'm faced with right now, no matter what opposition I'm going through right now, my God is with me and he'll walk with me through this situation. So a couple of weeks ago, I wanted to discern uh, the what is in my life. I wanted to discern the what is, or kind of where I'm currently at as a father and as a husband. And so I sat down with my wife and I asked her some questions and I asked my kids some questions. And my daughter, she's six years old, her name is Waverly. I said, Waverly, what can I do to be a better father? She was quick to answer. I thought she would say like, like dad, you can let me stay up all night. You know, or, or dad, you, you, you don't discipline me when I disobey you or something like that. But no, her answer was real quick. She said, dad, you can get me a cat. <laughs> I thought, Lord Jesus, I'm not letting Satan into this house. There ain't no way. I'm getting you a cat. So sometimes when you look at the what is, it like messes with your heart. Sometimes it messes with your daughter's heart or whatever, but it's where you've got to start. And this is where Nehemiah starts. He starts with the what is for vision that God wanted him to have. You see, Nehemiah, he was a part of the tribe of Judah and Judah was conquered by the Babylonians in 570 BC. They took the people of Israel and of Judah into captivity. Uh, they burned down the, the temple and the walls of Jerusalem. Now about 120 years later, Nehemiah comes onto the scene. He's the, the, the slave of King Artaxerxes. He gets this report from his brothers that the walls of Jerusalem are still torn down and the people are suffering. And so his heart begins to break. He begins to pray, God, give me vision in my life. And he gets this vision to go rebuild the wall, which will ultimately reestablish God's glory to the nations around him. So he gets this vision. He goes to the king. He asks for permission. The, the king grants him permission. He goes back, uh, travels about 1,000 miles back to Jerusalem. When he arrives, uh, he inspects the walls. He inspires the people, uh, and, and they begin to work. Now, at this point, I mean, they're, they're excited. I mean, the people, you know, they're, they're seeing God do some crazy miracles. But how many of you, by show of hands, how many of you have ever been in a season of life where you're like, things are going too well right now, something bad has to happen? Anybody ever been there? Yeah, some of y'all need some more coffee because y'all ain't even awake. You know you've been in that season where things have been going so great, something bad has to happen, right? Well, it does for Nehemiah. And it does for all of us. Why? Because when you're a leader and you're taking a step out in faith and you're leading, you're taking charge, you're out in front of everybody else. And anytime you're out in front of other people, there's gonna be arrows that are thrown at you. There's gonna be criticism. There's gonna be opposition that you're going to face. And Nehemiah, he faces opposition 
in the form of two guys. Their names are, are Sam Ballot and Tobiah. Now, these guys are governors of, of, of the region, and so they're the ones that have the most to lose if this wall is rebuilt. And so because they have the most to lose, they become the greatest opposition. And here's where we pick up with the story. Nehemiah chapter four says this. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day, uh, 52, will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him, and he said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. And so Nehemiah, he, he discovers what we all discover, that whenever you start stepping out in vision, whenever you start living your life for God, you're gonna experience opposition. That's just the reality. Jesus even promises it. And there's so many people in life, they think that once they come to know Christ, that everything's gonna be easy. It's gonna be great, it's gonna be perfect. But in my belief, that once you come to know Christ, then you have a real enemy. That's when the enemy really comes up against you and the opposition really begins to happen. And there's some of us right now, if we're being honest, and we've been experiencing some incredible opposition in our marriage. For some of us, it's in our parenting. For others of us, it's in our workplace. For some of us, it's in our own faith. Like if we're just being real honest and our relationship with God seems non-existent right now. And you think it's because of certain things that have been happening, but the reality is you have an enemy that has been coming against your soul in a very powerful way. So how do we respond when we go through opposition? Well, taking a look at Nehemiah's life, we see he did four things, and these are four things that we should do when we're faced with opposition. The first thing is return to prayer. Return to prayer. As we'll see in a moment, Nehemiah, the first thing that he does is he returns to prayer. Now, I gotta stop right here, though, and I gotta warn you. Sikos, let me warn you with this. Church, let me warn you with this, that anytime you are faced with opposition, that opposition has a face. And if you're not careful, you will fight against that person. You will make that person the enemy, and you will try to win or beat that individual. But the reality is, behind every visible enemy, there's an invisible one. And if you think you can defeat that invisible enemy on your own, you're greatly mistaken. The only way to defeat that invisible enemy, his name is Satan, is to return back to God, is to go back to prayer. So let's look at the prayer that Nehemiah prays. I love it. He says this, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Now this is the most politically incorrect prayer that he could pray. I love it. I know some of you are thinking, Ernest, doesn't the Bible teach us to like pray for our enemies and bless those who persecute us? Yes, but this is why I love the Bible because it's just real and raw. This wasn't a model prayer, this was just an honest one. It's like many of the Psalms that, that we read, there's many prayers in the Psalms that are not model prayers for us, although we may have wanted to pray a prayer like this at some point until God, you know, to cast fire on somebody or whatever. It's not a model prayer, it's just an honest one. And I think prayer is kind of a, a therapy for your soul. It's an opportunity for us to take to God our anger and our pain and our frustration, our disappointment, our depression, whatever it may be. And the reality is, if you don't go to God with those things, you're gonna bottle it up and either you're gonna live a very miserable life or one day it will explode and those around you will live a very miserable life. And so going to God in prayer is really a therapy for your soul. Nehemiah knew that this is where the vision originated. It's also where the vision matures and it's where the visionary 
matures. And so when we go back to prayer, it's us saying, God, here's what I'm dealing with. And I just believe that God's like a big boy. That like, he's not afraid of like your anger and your frustrations and like your, your complaining. He's not like, oh wow, I didn't know that was happening in your life. Like he knows all of it and he just wants us to come. I, I love the, the example Jesus gives us before the, uh, the, the greatest opposition any man could ever face, the insults, the beatings, and then ultimately the crucifixion. Where do we find him? He's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's doing what? He's praying. And he says, Father, if you could take this cup from me, if there's any other way that, that I could bring salvation to the world, may that happen. He's just being honest. I think for some of us, we're faced with a situation right now. We've got some opposition. We're, we're in the midst of a battle and we wanna fight and we wanna charge ahead. And God's saying, hey, why don't you just come back to me? Why don't you just return back to me in prayer? The second thing that Nehemiah did and that we should do is we've gotta revise the plan. Revise the plan. So Nehemiah, he prays. Uh, then more opposition comes, and then here's what we see him doing. He says, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. So he says, here's the deal, guys. I know we've been building this wall, but now violence is being threatened against us. Put down your hammers and nails and pick up your swords and your bows. Like the plan has to change at this point. Because the opposition has come, the circumstances have changed, now our plan has to change. And for some of us, man, we're, we're, we're in the midst of a battle, we think, no, we've gotta do what we said we're gonna do, and God's like, hey, just change the plan. Like, it could be a big change, it could be a small change, whatever it may be, but when circumstances change, sometimes the plan also has to change. A few months ago, my wife and I, we were, uh, uh, we were just struggling. Her and I were really good, our kids were really, like, our family was great, but we were just experiencing a lot of opposition. I had just had major knee surgery, and uh, man, there was just, you know, uh, just a lot of challenges. A lot of challenges to pastoring, and, and just different things, and friendships, and living in a new culture, and all that stuff. And uh, so we just began crying out, like, God, you brought us here. Like, we know for sure that you brought us here, and, and we're away from our family, we're away from our childhood friends, we're away from everything that's comfortable to us, sweet tea, you know, all that stuff. Like, we're, we're away from everything, God. Like, how do we make this place home? Like up until this point, we thought it was home, but then the opposition, like the enemy had just like notched it up to another level. And because of that, we had to figure out, man, what needs to change? I remember calling Pastor Josh and I'm like, man, we're struggling. Like we need to figure out something else. And he's like, what do you need to do? Like, what do you need to change? And so in fact, one of the reasons we're here this week is because we, as a family, we hadn't come back to Charleston since 2015. We're like, we gotta get back to Charleston more often, so all of our family, all that stuff. And so we just began making changes. We changed some of our friendships. We changed uh, some things in our community group. We, we made personal changes. I thought, man, if I'm gonna live in this place that is a, a desolate place for college football, uh, then I, I gotta get back to at least one Georgia game every year. You know what I'm saying? Like, to beat Carolina would be easy. So let me choose another game. <laughs> Y'all are so depressed. We might as well just as high, like, pile it on you. You know what I'm saying? And it's true. So, uh, so my wife's like, yeah, that's cool. We could do that. Then she said, well, I miss the humidity of Charleston. So I want to do hot yoga. I like threw up in my mouth, but I was like, girl, you do you. That's cool. I don't know why anybody would miss the humidity of Charleston, but she does. And so we just made changes. 
And so when the opposition comes, the circumstances in your life are going to change. I meet people all the time that, that, you know, married couples that will say, man, we're really struggling. I'm like, are you getting counseling? They're like, no, 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 we're not that bad. And I'm like, man, everybody needs counseling. Everybody in this room, you're either going to get counseling reactively or proactively. Might as well be proactive with it. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm like, if the circumstances change, then change the plan. It's okay to do that. Sometimes we have to change the plan. So return to prayer. We've got to revise the plan. Third thing, we've just got to recast the vision. Recast the vision. Sometimes in carrying out the vision and impacting your home, your workplace, and working on your faith, sometimes it gets tiring. Sometimes it's difficult. And you just want to kind of give up. And in those moments, you need somebody to stand up to a group of people, or you need to stand up to yourself and remind yourself of why you're doing what you're doing. Remind yourself of why God called you to this place, to this relationship, to be in a relationship with him or into your marriage or your parent or whatever it may be. Don't give up. Remember why you're doing what you're doing. Look at Nehemiah says, it says, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. He says, hey guys, I know they're threatening you with violence, but don't worry about it. Like they can't do you any harm. Remember why you're here. Remember why we're doing this whole rebuilding project. It's not for a wall. It's for your brothers and your sisters and your husbands and your wives and your sons and your daughters. It's for the generations that come after us. Remember why we're doing it. We're doing it so we have peace, so that we have hope, so that our God is glorified. You've got to remember why you're doing what you're doing. Sometimes you just got to recast the vision. I know for me, throughout this this church planning journey, man, I've had to recast the vision to myself many, many times. Like when things get hard, when people want to criticize, when people leave the church, whenever, whatever the case may be, like I have to remind myself of why we are there. I have to remind myself that much like Secos, that we want to be a church that will do anything short of sin to reach people who are far from Christ. That we'll be and do things that other churches aren't doing to reach people that other churches aren't reaching. Like I love Christians, but the reality is they're going to be in heaven anyways. So let's get out there and let's reach as many lost people as possible. Like the Christians are the ones that complain about everything. There's no lost person that's like, oh my gosh, the music is too loud. You know, like, <laughs> come on. Put an earplug in and invite your neighbor. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, the lost people are what matter. Like, I think about my town, man. We live in a beautiful area. If you've never been to Denver, you need to come. There's many other reasons besides weed that, that will draw you there, okay? <laughs> it's beautiful. We live in the fourth wealthiest county in America. Extremely wealthy people, highly educated, highly educated. Most people have a master's degree or higher. So we live in a great place. And yet we have the highest suicide rate for males between the ages of 35 and 55. We're in the top 10 for suicides for teenagers. Like there's some messed up things happening in our town. And I think about Charleston, I think about Mount Pleasant. It's one of the wealthiest areas of Charleston. You guys are highly educated. You have to think about the challenges that are, exist right here in this town and in every town that's represented by the different campuses. You've got depression, you've got loneliness, you've got a lack of purpose, you've got marriages that are failing. I mean, think about all the things that are going on. And so many times in the midst of the opposition, we, like, we put a face with somebody and we wanna battle against them. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know you don't like your boss, but what about their eternity? 
I know your teacher is frustrating, but what about her eternity? I know your neighbor's dog barks nonstop, but what about, not its eternity, but their, the owner's eternity? Like we've got to remind ourselves of why we're doing what we're doing. God didn't place you here to make this life be about you and me. We're here to bring light into the darkness. We're here to rush into the middle of the darkness and to capture as many people as possible and help bring them from the pits of hell to the other side of glory. That's why we're here. That's why we do it. And I know I see this big old building being built over here. And I know there's probably a lot of people are like, why are we doing that? I, uh, being here at Seacoast for so long, we saw many different expansions and different things like that. And people would always complain, why do you need a bigger building? Because there's more lost people. Are you kidding me? Look, look, look at this room right here. I mean, okay, yeah, a lost person really wants to sit that close to somebody else <laughs> to listen to some dude they don't know. Like, come on. Right, like it's easy to complain about all the things that we can complain about, but what about the lost people that are outside not knowing how desperately they need Jesus Christ? The money and the toys and the vacations don't answer our problems, only Jesus does, and we need more of him. And for you and I, for those of us who know Christ, we've gotta remind ourselves why we do what we do. For those of you who are struggling in your faith, you need to remind yourself of what Christ has done for you. And I know it's not easy, I know it can be difficult, but you gotta remind yourself of what Christ has already done for you. You've gotta recast the vision. And the last thing that Nehemiah does is he restarts the work. He restarts the work. So the people had stopped working on the wall and I can only imagine what they're thinking at this point. I mean, before Nehemiah shows up, they're fine. I mean, they're, they're, they're suffering a little bit, the walls are torn down, all that stuff, but like Nehemiah comes onto the scene and now their lives are being threatened. They're like, dude, why are we doing this? Come on, Nehemiah. And so they, they stop and Nehemiah's like, no, 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 let's go, let's keep working. So they start working again and Nehemiah's up on the wall and he's working and Sanballat and Tobiah come back onto the scene in Nehemiah chapter six. And they're, they try to get him to come down from the wall. They wanna meet with him, but really they, they're gonna end up killing him if he, if he comes down. And so he can see through their tricks and here's what Nehemiah responds. He says, I sent a messenger to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? So the question I have for you is what vision has God given to you in your life? What vision has God given to you in your community? In this town, in your neighborhood, the people that live around you? If you don't have vision for where you currently live, ask God, God, give me vision. Show me why I'm here. You're not here by mistake and you're not here because Charleston's been on the number one best place to live list for like 18 years in a row or something. Like you're not here by accident. You're here because God has you here for a reason. What's the vision for the community? What's your vision for your marriage? Do you know why God has you together? It's not just because you were two beautiful people who fell in love. It's because God has a purpose for you, has a vision for your marriage. He's a vision for how he wants to use your marriage to make an impact in this world. Do you know the vision that God has for you in regards to culture? It's easy to complain about politicians and what's going on, the decisions being made somewhere else, but what are we doing to make a difference? What are we doing to change things? Do you have a vision for your culture? Do you have a vision for your school or work? Like you're not working in the place that you are by accident. You may think that you're there for some other reason, but God placed you there. 
You're not at the school you're in because, of, uh, because that's just where you're supposed to go or whatever, you're there because God has placed you there. Do you know the vision that God has for you in that location? Do you, have, do you know the vision that God has for you in your own faith? What God wants for your life? What God wants to say to you? You see, so many times God will give us a vision and we're, we're up here and we're just you know, knocking away, man. We're just working hard on the vision that he has for us and we're like, you know what? I'm gonna keep working on my marriage and I'm gonna keep working on my parenting. I know the vision that God has for me in this community and in my neighborhood. I know why I'm here. Oh, and then there's these guys, you know, they come onto the scene and, and they, start, they start criticizing us and they start talking negatively about us. They start questioning why we're doing what we're doing and our motives and all of that. And, and if we're being honest, man, some of us have put down the hammer and we're coming down. We're like, this is too hard. This is too difficult. I didn't realize how difficult this would be. I didn't realize being out in front and trying to lead my family, that people would criticize me. They would criticize my parenting and, and, and our marriage. They would criticize where I go to church and, and the community. They would criticize all these. I didn't realize that, man. It's just been too tough, and I get it. But God says, go back up. Don't come down off the wall. The stakes are too high for you to give up. The stakes are too high for you to give up in your marriage. Think about the generations the generations that can change because you stuck it out. The stakes are too high in your community. Think about the lost people, the brokenness, the hurt, the pain, not just those who are spiritually disconnected from Jesus, but those who are connected to him, but man, feel so lost right now. The stakes are too high. Keep working. I know it's painful. I know it hurts sometimes. I know when opposition comes, man, it's e way easier to just quit. And some of us, let's just be honest, we feel like the ladder was kicked out from underneath us. Like we had this vision, we had this idea of what our marriage would be or what this new business venture, would be, whatever it may be, and the ladder seems to just be kicked right out and God's putting the ladder back up and he's saying, go back up. Because the work is too important for you to give up on. This world is too important for you to give up on. In a room this size, I would bet that many of us are right in the midst of a battle. It may be a spiritual battle of our faith, maybe a battle in a relationship, in our home, at our workplace, at our school, maybe a battle in what we see in, in culture, in our community. And God's saying, I didn't create you to come down from the ladder. The work is too important to come down. Yeah, people are gonna jeer at you, they're gonna criticize you, they're gonna say things that aren't fair and all of that, but the work is too important for you to come down. So when you're faced with opposition, return to prayer. Remember with every visible enemy, there's an invisible one, and the only way to conquer him, the only way to defeat him is by returning to God in prayer. Sometimes you gotta revise the plan. It's okay to revise the plan. It's okay to change things. Sometimes you need to change things because the circumstances have changed. You gotta recast the vision to yourself or to a group of people. Hey guys, remember, maybe you need to sit down today with your spouse and you feel like, man, you've been at odds, at odds for a few days or a few weeks or a few months or maybe a few years and you just need to sit down and hold each other's hands and say, let's remind ourselves of why we're doing this. The stakes are too high. The stakes are too high. You need to recast the vision. Maybe for some of us, 
We just need to be reminded to not come down from the ladder. See, because God has some great things in store for you. For each one of you individually and for this church as a whole. And the enemy is gonna do everything he can to distract you and to make you to come down. To make you get off that ladder and to stop the work. But if your great and awesome God is with you, then not only will he see you through it, but he will walk with you through every step of the way. And for that, we can celebrate. For that, we can worship him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Father, that this story of Nehemiah is not a fairy tale. But God, it's a story of, of leadership. It's a story of what happens when we step out in faith. And God, I thank you that his story is our story. And Father, there's so many of us, that if we're just being real honest, man, we, we feel like we've been facing a battle. For some of us, it's just been a few days or a few, a few weeks. But for others of us, it's been a few years. And God, we're struggling in our health. We're struggling spiritually. We're struggling in this marriage or at this school or this workplace. And God, we need you to show up. Father, we need you, the great and awesome God, to show up. In fact, with every head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, if you say, man, I came into this place and honestly, I, I have given up on this area. My, I've come down from the ladder. Or Ernest, I put down the hammer and I started walking down. And if God's been speaking to you today to say, get back up on that ladder and there's an area of your life you know that you're not supposed to give up on, that you need to take to him. You need to say, okay, God, let me return to you this area of my life. If that's you and you wanna make that commitment to return back to him, I just want you to raise your hand. I wanna pray for you, amen. Hands going up all over the place, amen. Amen, Father, thank you. Thank you for the faith of these individuals to step out and say, okay, God, I need a change. I've been trying to do it on my own. And God, I've been getting nowhere. Father, I pray for each one of us that as we face the battles of life, as we face the opposition that's gonna come before us, Father, that you would help us to return to you so that you can mature us, so that you can mold us and shape us. I pray, Father, that for those of us that need to revise the plan, that you would tell us, you would guide us, you would direct us on how to do that. For those of us who need the vision to be recast to us, Father, may somebody rise up and do that for us, or may we do it to ourselves, just remind ourselves of why this is so important, why we started doing this in the first place. And then, God, I pray we would not come down from that ladder. God, we wouldn't give up. And Father, we would trust that you are good and you are powerful and you will walk with us through this and you will see it till the end. Father, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.